Monday morning. I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM with the City Council Member, Sean Palmer. Morning, Sean. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be on with you and um, talk with your listeners. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on. I have to ask you, because I've been, I this just came into my mind off left field because I remember uh, I got a couple calls and emails. What what is the deal with the shoveling of the snow? Do we? Because I this is downtown. I've been hearing about it that certain property owners aren't cleaning the snow off their sidewalks. Well, we have one person that has sent me emails about and phone calls about it, and we have a couple people um, who complain, and and they're rightfully so. And and what happens is the plows go by, and the service comes by, and they clean the sidewalk, and they clean the end of the sidewalk. And you know where the handicap um, ramp is, and then yeah. the city comes by again and throws snow, and it freezes at the end of that handicap ramp. And you know I'm a runner, and so it's hard for me to jump those hills. But yet I can probably do it. But if you're you know a little frail or, or not too sure on the ice, um, you can't jump those. And so they are responsible for getting that cleaned up. Um, uh, I just in fact had a um, one of my ward five people send me the bill that she got was $175 for the city to come out with the fines and the ticket and the company that came to clean it. And um, her husband was in the hospital and, and um, you know, I have sympathy for that, but uh, yeah, if you don't clean your sidewalk and somebody complains um, and you know, they can call the city. And I will tell you that if you do complain to the city, it is against the state law for us to say who complained. So I always tell people that, uh, they're fishing. They're not. They're, <laughs> I, I would lose my job as a building inspector if I said, no, you're right. Andy called and he, he's the one that's called. Sometimes it's obvious, but, so, um, but you know, don't, don't let that happen. So, so now yes. we know this. So if, if you are accused of that, say, no, I heard Sean Palmer say that no way that happened. No way that that happens. And, and <laughs> that, that's really stressed in all of our city employees that, that uh, as a complaint comes in, uh, state law says you cannot. And uh, there's good reason for that. So, but you but, cannot call up, you know, that's why we ask your phone number or we ask, you know, for contact information because sometimes you might've said Northeast or I heard Northeast, it was Northwest. And so, you know, we might show up at Northeast and go, yeah, that's the wrong address. And I don't know who it is. So we do ask for your contact information. So, um, you know, so, and you can but, call the non-emergency number if it's a non-emergency, but if it's a sidewalk, um, snow, something like that, um, they have 24 hours to remove it. And if you see a problem with it, call uh, Public Works, and they will uh, take care of that for you. Okay. Uh, it's an annual thing, right? It, well, it is, and, and we're probably more of an emphasis. And, you know, those corners are probably the bigger one. And, and I do have sympathy for some, like on 14th Street Northeast, the fog gets a good head of steam goes, and, and you know, they clear everything all out and throws it on the sidewalk, you know, and, and then it freezes, and, and that makes it really difficult to walk and and, and to remove, you know, you come home after work at six o'clock at night and the plow would buy again and you've got snow clumps there and um, somebody complains and that, that gets to be expensive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've to remove too. And I've had complaints that boy, Rochester's not doing a very good job on the snow removal on the roads. And, and I have complained about that. And, and I've been told by our public works director that, uh, um, we're doing our best we can, but it's been an interesting year for snow and the timing of the snow. And if you think about it, if the snow comes down at nine at night until four in the morning, they plow, 
But if it comes down all day long, people drive all over and push it down in the snow. Right. And, and then if we get rain before the, the, the snow event, it washes away the pretreatment. And so that makes it tougher too. And, and uh, they are salting the roads. Um, some people don't think we are, but we are. Probably not as much as we did back in the, you know, 60s, but we still are using it. We have different chemicals. You know, you've talked to MnDOT Mike, and, and uh, you know, it's a science. So. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong. My memory, when I, when I was growing up in this town, almost all the streets other than maybe Broadway and Highway 52, the plows left a pretty good crust of snow. I mean, they didn't plow right down to the pavement. And we drove on... Yeah, maybe three inches of packed down snow all winter long in most most of the side streets. And now, I mean, to be honest with you, I think they do a much better job now plowing than what they did when I was growing up. Well, they do a phenomenally good job. They really do. And my hat goes off to those plow drivers. And, to, and to Wendy Turry is our public works director, and she's taking grief from me. But I will compliment her in public to say that they're doing a good job. You got to remember, we used to have studded tires. And, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, but we also had bias ply tires. You didn't have radio tires. And if you go up to St. Paul or Minneapolis, you think that you're driving in a farm field. And uh, oh, yeah. Rochester, Rochester is doing pretty good on, on what we do. We pride ourselves on that. And, and our public works directors or, or department, I should say, really does too. And um, it's tough, you know, and there's different things that happen and, and you don't think about it. But, um, you know, I mean, atmospheric and in rain and, and timing and the amount of small snow you get and um it's it's and me the best and uh, i ate ice on the sidewalk and and i don't run in this weather outside because i don't want to trip and fall and hit my head and be goofier than i am <laughs> well the important message there part of what you said is taking care of your neighbor because if you do see the neighbor struggling clearing their sidewalk hey that's what neighbors are for, right? Especially if you have that eight and a half horsepower, two-stage snowblower with heated seats or whatever you're driving, right? Well, that, and you know, it's funny because we have different cultures too. And, and, and not everybody thinks that they need to have a clear sidewalk or a clear driveway. And, and, and you know, sometimes they just need a re little reminder that, you know, somebody wants to walk in front of your house and doesn't want to go through knee-deep snow or and they may not remember that. And like you just said, you know, maybe they're sick or maybe they're, you know, somebody's not doing well and, you know, and, and can't get out there and they shouldn't be penalized and we should try to help our neighbors out. So, and I will say, you know, for knowledgeable, uh, Family Services of Rochester is a nonprofit and they do a phenomenally good job of connecting people with snow people. And, you know, if you have an old snowblower that was good, but you don't need it, um, they take that as donation. I've donated a snowblower to them and it helps them out with their volunteers. And, um, you know, they send people out to help out. And sometimes it's just a temporary, you know, somebody breaks their ankle and really right. can't get out there. And, you know, and, and not everybody has family in town and not everybody has great neighbors that are willing to do that or have the time, you know. And, you know, I enjoy being outside and, and if my neighbors get home at five o'clock at night and the last thing you want to do is go shovel the end of the driveway that's frozen. So, if I'm a, you know, if I need an hour to think, I go out and shovel something. <laughs> it's helpful. So. Uh, put it. I'll take a break quick, but a plug in for family services too, because they're always looking for volunteers to help out with that in the winter. That they can call up during those snowstorms and have, you know, help a help the elderly neighbor or somebody laid up or whatever it is take care of what needs to be done. So.
Yeah, that's a, that's a good plug for those guys. Okay, we'll be back. We have to take a quick break. Sean Palmer, Rochester City Council member with us this morning on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Each season, farmers put it all on the line. 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I'm Andy Brownell along with Rochester City Council member Sean Palmer. And uh, we talked about winter. Let's talk about warmer weather activities in our lovely city. Um, I I think, is it next week the park board is going to finally uh, be reviewing some Preliminary plans for what could be a new aquatic center at Soldiers Field? Yes, they're going to, on Tuesday at 4.30, I believe in room 104, they're going to get the aquatics plan, which then will come to us at our study session on the 23rd, um, which is kind of exciting. Uh, there's some debate on how well it's going together and is everybody happy with the aquatics plan. Um, it's been a long period that we've been working on this, but uh, right now, tentatively, they have two um, proposals. One of them has a shelter outside it that will affect the golf course, and one of them does not, and does not affect the golf course. And the and the literally the the plan for the pool stays the same. So um, there's an alternative that I hope that everybody votes for. It'll save us a little bit of money, um, and so it's an interesting experience going through this planning stage. They used. Um, um, uh, a bunch of people came in and said what they were looking for. And, you know, if you think about it from a handicap perspective or young person perspective and, and kid perspective, and how do you get people in to say, what do you want in a pool? We're lucky in Rochester. We have an aquatics group that, that, that meets and, and uh, they, they do our, our lifeguarding for us in both pools right now. And uh, they have some suggestions and we're going to hopefully tear down the old, um, 25 year old bathhouse and build a new one on the on the east side by the parking lot. And the rationale for that is that you would walk in, um, uh, drop your kid off if you wanted to. You could watch them walk into the, the to the area, walk through, and then there would be lockers and in um, unisex bathrooms, and then a, a splash pads, uh, lazy river. They'd have right now they're proposing four 50 meter pool lap pool. I'm hoping they go to six. Um, and so that's kind of an exciting period of time. The disadvantage with it is, is that we used to have an aquatics director and, and Brownie was our aquatics director and he retired. They didn't replace him. And the park board has been asking for an aquatics plan. Uh, right now we have a splash pad opening next year at Lincolnshire. Finally, they're going to have one out at McQuillan Field. They're going to have one at Silver Lake. The one at Silver Lake, I think it's $3.2 million dollars and not put pools in and we're pushing hard to get pools put in and all three of these not big pools but teaching pools something that you can teach kids how to swim do some laps do some water aerobics but to go back to soldiers field master plans aquatics part i believe that's going to be 13 million dollars we're going to spend i believe uh five is from the federal government 10 is from um, dmc and then it's going to also have, um, I think, $5 million of referendum dollars in that pool, um, which is time to, to change it. It's leaks. It's not, it's not built the way that we used to. The locker rooms. You mentioned the DMC dollars that have been contributed towards this. Is there any restrictions on the use of that money? I mean, is there anything DMC wants that money spent for? Or do you have discretion to use it as you wish, meaning the city? Well, I'm, I'm, I honestly, and I've said this before on your program, that the DMC is willing to fund a master plan items 
for us. They have no want to tell us what they want. So they they have an open checkbook, and 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 I've had meetings with Patrick and other DMC people who say, "You guys tell us what the need is in our community, and and we have funds that we will fund it." And so huh? and they they've been very true to that, and and they will have to go to the DMC board uh, to get money. So it'll go. I believe park board, city council, working sessions, then it'll go to the DMC, and then it will come back to the city council for a vote. So okay. on the 23rd, we're not voting. It's going to be, you know, what are you guys thinking? And, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna push for a few things that I think are important in aquatics. I've got a, a good experience in aquatics. I've, I've run a few of the pools. i certified by the Red Cross and lifeguarding and, and uh, swim instructor. And so, you know, I have my own little bit of um, knowledge. And the Soldier's Field Plan that the Park Board will be reviewing this week, The um, you mentioned that one plan affects the golf course by having a, a picnic shelter, I think is what you're saying. Correct. How would that affect the golf course? Um, they would have to move three greens or three tees and and, and do quite a bit of, of work on that. And, you know, it, and, and I've worked with the golf people and I've worked with the, with the swimming people. And, and, you know, if aquatics had to move into the golf course, that's one thing because you know the pool needs to kind of be where the pool is and and to place this picnic shelter in a spot that that forces the golf to be moved and and change the golf course um just doesn't make any common sense and so that's an alternative plan and and that's the one i think that everybody will vote for but it's not the one that the park staff are recommending they're recommending putting a picnic shelter there and changing the golf course and and you know if you want to be cynical you just look at the park staff wanting to uh destroy golf downtown Rochester and, and do anything they can to make the numbers go down. If you're cynical, um, you know, and, and the other thing from a safety perspective is that I'm not particularly sure you want to have a picnic shelter that overlooks swimming. You know, there's some people who you don't really want watching swimming and, and uh, kids in the swim pool and, and, you know, it doesn't have to go in that location. So I, I think that, I think the park board will see the, the, the smarts of not moving the golf course and, in, in that picnic shelter. Well, there's an expense to moving the golf course as well, right? It's not cheap to move greens. I, I know you can do it, but you, it's landscaping, it's moving dirt. It's it's not a free proposal. No, it's not a free proposal. And, and you, you lose a year of, of, of using, well, yeah, but you can use 14 of the holes or you can use, well, nobody wants to go off 12 holes or I, I'm not, I have a little bit of a bias. I think it might be showing, but um, I, I'm I'm dismayed by that. And uh, I work really, really close with the golf people. The mayor has to. The mayor has been very supportive of the golf plan and, and very supportive of swimming and pools and stuff. And so of, of, of things that we get along with and agree with, those would be two of the big ones for the mayor and I. So. All right. And the, uh, the aquatics facilities that are being proposed, the main features would be a splash pad or kiddie pool type situation. Um, lazy, some sl- lazy river. A lazy river, okay. And then some slides? Uh, some slides, two slides, and then it would have four lanes is what they're proposing. They had for laps. For laps. And, or, you know, but people like bouncing around in a pool and chasing each other. And and so, you know, that it's not just for laps, but it's, it's it's you know, a body of water that people can play in. And a more traditional play. pool. Area. Yes, correct. And they had, you know, parks had, had recommended putting in a 
diving board and the diving well and that kind of stuff. And, you know, the aquatics people said, it's not needed. We, we don't need that. And so instead of having 12 foot deep water, we'll have eight foot deep water in some spots and, and, you know, we'll put climbing walls in there. That's what people kind of like and stuff. And if you think about it, I believe that they're building it for a thousand people to use. Well, you know, we have a town of 130,000 people. And so, you know, who's, you know, a thousand people using it. So that goes into my, my, you know, we need a master plan for all of aquatics and have a, a plan and we do need more than one pool. You know, I really think Lincolnshire is a great place for a teaching pool and McQuillan is and and not a big pool at Silver Lake, but you know, next to that splash pad. The other side of that is, and, and my worry is, is that if you have splash pads out in the community without any supervision, you know, you can't have dogs in splash pads. You can't have kids with dirty diapers in splash pads. I can't keep, or I shouldn't say I can't, the park department can't keep drinking fountains at Bear Creek, Slattery Park, Quarry Hill. I don't know how you're going to keep vandalism down from, from this other splash pad. So having a pool with lifeguards and a fence around your splash pad kind of gives you that security that I think we really need. Making it more of a facility rather than just a standalone splash, splash pad. But I, I was going to ask you, because you, you mentioned having these other pools, um, to address some of the needs that we've heard from other community members that the, you would have to have a lifeguard if you had a pool at each one of these facilities. You know, you don't have to. I'm a, I'm a proponent that you do. You know, the Red Crosses that you do, I think that you do. Um, you know, I mean, we've had drownings at Cascade Lake. We've had drownings out there at Foster Aarons with and without a lifeguard. But but to me, you do need to already have restrooms state of minnesota is requiring restrooms already have a filter room already have a you know so so you know it's uh it's not a lot to add another little small 25 yard you know five lane pool to to teach it and you know you can go there in the morning and you know imagine if you live in northwest rochester going to a bike to lincolnshire walk over to lincolnshire go for a swim or water aerobics and bring your kid to, to lessons and and you know that would be a a great thing and you know people are like well we have um, other pools in the community. And, and I, we talked before, I've chatted with the um, superintendent of schools about using Willow Creek as a pool for the community. And, and he's very much open to that. And we're going to meet and see what we can do on that. Um, and then I believe they might keep the junior high pools open, which if they did that, that would help out with what we could do after school. And, and we do have lifeguards, kids available, I use the word kids, available to lifeguard in the summer. And so that's why outdoor pools are so great because you can expand the use and have, you know, you have an employment um, base there. And being a lifeguard really is a lifelong skill and a lifelong, you know, teaches responsibility. And, and it's, a, it's a tough job, but that age, that 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old being a lifeguard, it really teaches you some uh, lifelong skills. We have to take a break for news already, Sean. Uh, we'll be back and. Chat some more with Rochester City Council Member Sean Palmer in just a moment on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. First, we decide where we want to go. That's true today. I'm Andy Brownell, News Talk 1340, KROC AM, 96.9 FM. City Council Member Sean Palmer with us this morning on this Monday morning. Um, well, we talked about the aquatics side of it, and we kind of mentioned the golf piece to it. That that's still potentially affected by the aquatics thing. But um, last week, the city council took action on a plan for the future of all of the golf courses, correct? Correct. We, you know, we, we 
had somebody come and do a, a golf plan for us for all four of our courses. And it was a little biased because, because they started out with, geez, we should close Soldiers Field. And it came back that Soldiers Field was, was the most popular, the most used, the, the most, the least expensive one for us to do. Um, but he had some good contributions that, that we should be doing or things to do. And one of them was um, online registrations for golf, which we hadn't done. Some marketing, we'd cut our marketing down to about 10% of what it should be. Um, if you go out to Northern Hills, uh, we have a gravel road um, that serves it. So it's like, what are we trying to do there? And then food, you know, we have um, three clubhouses and we redid the one at Northern. Uh, we've got a good... Uh, restaurant, go down to Soldiers Field and have a sandwich down there. It's a great place for a sandwich. And then what do we do out to Eastwood in the in the clubhouse? And, you know, Park and Rec is just, I'm not trying to beat up on them all day, but but they're just not in the restaurant business. And so we have to rethink um, how we how we handle those clubhouses and how people do things. And I always hear uh, people tell me, well, we had a great fish fry 20 years ago and we should, you know, we could do that again. And well, that was 20 years ago and golf has changed and we're trying to make it more responsive. The other thing that we heard um, in the golf plan was we want things at the golf courses in the wintertime. And so cross country skiing at Soldiers Field and it would be a good spot and to do it at Northern and it would be a good spot. And and can we do sled hills at Northern? Can we do sled hills back? I, you were a kid, you probably went to Eastwood. and Sure. So, you know, those are good places to, to sled. So. So this was all about the funding for, right? This is all about the funding. And so after the golf plan got done, um, we came to an agreement after many, many hours of, of debate and talk and golfers stepped up and said, you know, we're underfunding and we want to fund it more. So their fees are going to go up um, quite a bit. And, and But the, also they're going to get a contribution from the uh, taxpayers. And the most that they'll get is $250,000 a year. And that works out to be $4 for an average home in Rochester. Now, it's a lot less than $4 because they already get some taxpayer dollars, um, but that, that's basically what they're going to end up getting. And in golf on its own, and this is the third year in a row that it's had um, their finances be okay, um, which means they were in the black, but they don't do well with CIP. And so the construction improvement projects you know, are costly. But you know, if I build a new clubhouse, it's going to be there for 50 years. And so, you know, what if it costs a hundred thousand dollars to remodel it? Well, do you take that that hundred thousand dollars the first year and and then eat it? And that's that's not fair to 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 that. So that's where that contribution goes to also. Okay, so most of the money would go towards the capital improvement projects that are needed over a, a some period of years. Yes, and some of it will go to personnel. They they laid off some of their people, and they need to bring some of them back. And so there'll be a mixture in there. But I would anticipate, we would anticipate that golf with that two hundred fifty thousand dollars would be pretty much self sufficient and be able to to fund for some of this stuff. Now we might have to bring some stuff um, borrowed, like for the road, to say, hey, let's do the road this spring and get that sure. done, um, because it's just a detriment to golf. Um, and so, you know, that nobody wants to go to the golf course and drive in a gravel road. So, um, so that will help out golf. Well, I just uh, hope it gets warm enough very soon that the golfers are back out. How's that? Now That's that, we're in, now that we're in January, I can say I'm done with winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I always go to Valentine's Day is to me is, is the goal <laughs> when we stopped after Valentine's Day. And, you know, from a running perspective, it's a lot easier to run after Valentine's Day than it is in January. So. Well, you know, Valentine's Day is right around the corner now that we're uh, headed towards mid-January. 
Well, it's a, a month from uh, Sunday. Yeah, so, just yeah, trying to right. be. A, I'm trying to be an optimist here, Mr. Council Member. Well, we, and you know that's my number one personality is positivity. So I hope I come across as a positive person. Okay. <laughs> well, so, let's take a quick break, and then we'll uh, chat some more with the Council Member, City Council Member Sean Palmer, this morning on Rochester Today, News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Could there be a better council member, Sean Palmer, with us? Andy Brownell, myself, uh, Newstock 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Um, last time we talked, you had a proposal, actually two proposals for, for the Rochester Charter Commission. They met last week. Any update on those proposals concerning the makeup of both the park board and the library board and how the... Direct. The other one was how the how the directors of those two organizations are, I guess, supervised. Might be the best way to describe it. Well, I'll try to give you a quick update on that. And the Charter Commission um, oversees our charter, which is the the rules and regulations for the city of Rochester. And I made a presentation on Tuesday. They had an open um, comment period. They had a public hearing. Some people from the library spoke. Um, my first proposal is, is, well, just to be clear, they're going to remain charter boards, and that's important to me and to them. But my first proposal was that the department of heads, instead of being supervised by these boards, would be then supervised by the um, city administrator with consent and, and, and input from, the, from those boards. Um, and the charter board moved that ahead, and they're going to have another public hearing because Park and Rec wasn't able to get all their people there. Um, but that moved ahead. My idea that the city council members should announce or should nominate people did not move ahead and did not get a favorable um, view, which is fine. Uh, we went ahead and, and made the best case we could. In doing research, we found out, and I've always said that the mayor didn't get a vote. Well, the mayor has to sign it. So I'm particularly sure that the mayor wasn't going to uh, take away some authority for her. So um, the only other thing that they could do is that they could refer it to a referendum, which I don't believe they're going to. But I'm excited if the department heads get moved because it does reflect really what they do in today's world. Um, you know, the, the charter is 110 years old and parks and, and library were run differently. And now it's 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 run, obviously run differently and personnel issues and other things have changed. And, and I think it's more important to have the, the city um, administrator handle that. So. I don't know if that's enough said on that subject. Well, so the one proposal regarding the uh, park, the department heads will go for a public hearing. And then at that point, the Charter Commission decides whether or not to bring it to the council. That is correct. And okay. then when it comes to the council, then it would need seven people to say yes. And then it would need the mayor to sign it. And then it would become a change. If one council person or the mayor doesn't sign it, then it does not. It goes back to the Charter Commission and they can they can decide to take it to a referendum if they thought that was important enough. And they okay. might that issue that issue they might decide as a charter board. And they meet every other month. Um, their um, uh, the district um, judge appoints them. There's seven people who applied who will go on that board in the next month. I think is how much time they have to to do that. So it's an interesting bunch. I enjoy that meeting. It's it's twelve people from Rochester with different views. All right. Well, just continue to track that as it uh, moves through the process. One topic we haven't talked about in a while, but it's always front and center uh, in any public discussion in the community is housing, particularly affordable housing. Are there any um, 
updates on that front as far as the city is concerned? There is, and, and we have a housing coalition, and that's made up of DMC, um, City of Rochester, Olmsted County, Mayo Clinic. People have contributed money uh, for a coalition to try to move housing along. And I'm, I'm now the city council representative on that. I've had probably nine different meetings with people. I'm meeting with two more people today to get input. And how do we get entry-level houses built in Rochester? An entry-level house would be a house around $250,000, something that a policeman, a fireman, a teacher, somebody at that, that lower level could afford to buy a house and build equity. And, yeah. and there, there's other ways of doing it. And we you know we had the Maxfield study and the Maxfield study says we need housing of all sorts. We need senior housing. We need apartments. We need condos. We need single family. Last year at the city of Rochester, this number is from December 1st, we had 160 houses built. We've never had less than 180 in 30 years. We went through the 79, we had 21% interest rates. 84, we had IBM make their announcement to laying people off. We had the 2008 recession. We had, we never had less than 180 houses. And so we have to do something. And the Maxwell study states that we need at least 450 single family dwellings built every year. And the staff are gonna to come to us on the 23rd at a study session and hopefully they were going to have some suggestions on how do we get those numbers up. And there are things that we can do um, to provide that, that ability to do that. And, and I'm excited about it. And I just need to have four city council members um, agree with me on that. And I think, I think they will. Um, but you know, from an equity perspective, if you're living in an apartment, you're not gaining an asset. And, and you know, the American dream still is to own your own home. Rochester has a high rate of home ownership. It, Minnesota is one of the worst rates, though, for uh, minority ownership. And so, you know, about 79% of people are are white that own their own home and about 26% of people who are um, a minority. And so how do we get those those people up to um, um, help them get home ownership? And some of it is some barriers from language. Some of it is, you know, that we did a studies on it and came back and said they don't understand mortgages. They don't understand if your furnace goes out, who do you call? Well, quite frankly, you and I have that same problem, you know, and, and you know, if, if I call a roofing company, am I getting ripped off? We we have that same, we don't know. And, you know, I'm a little different. I have a lot of friends. I have people who I can call, I trust, and I've been in the business for 40 years. N most people don't. And so, right. you know, and so those those um, things are, are different, but we can do some things that are different for, for different minorities to get, to excite them, to get into home ownership having them know that it's a wonderful thing that, that they own their own home. Now, again, renters aren't bad. Renters are good. We need renters in the community. Some people live in Rochester for two or three years and they move on. Not really smart to buy a house if you're gonna live here for two or three years. I'm not a financial advisor, but it's just not smart. Um, but but you know, if you're gonna be here a long period of time, owning that home, uh, we're lucky we have the Rochester Area Foundation. They have first homes program. They have a, um, um, program that they have a land trust. And so the land trust is that you don't own your property, but you own your home. And so if you go to sell your home, the value of that property is less from that. So that makes it easier to to own a home. Also, you can't rent it. And so you, can, you can't get investors buying houses and, and, and doing that. And so those are some of the tools that we can use to, to, to do that, um, make it more affordable. But there's a five or six items that we can do in the city of Rochester. Um, I hate to ask, but I think maybe we might we might even be getting into making it easier to develop those entry level homes, you know. And I call I'm using the word entry level because yeah. affordable is one of those things that 
you know, what's affordable to you and I and, and, and stuff, but, um, you know, non-subsidized at the end, you know, where we're not every month giving a subsidy. Okay. Yeah, right now, as you mentioned, fewer than 180 homes permitted for construction last year, 160-some. Yes. I was astounded when I saw that number. I remember the days when it was 900-some homes were being built in the city, maybe over 1,000 a couple of years um, during the heydays. But how do you get it to the point where you could get an actual builder interested in constructing that home for $250,000 where it stands right now, they're rarely building a $400,000 home. Well, there's a couple of things we can do. And, and it was interesting because there's, you know, there's some, some people in Rochester who were really big in entry level houses and Joe Bigelow, who's passed away was one of them and, and Bob DeWitts. These guys really and truly believed in that. And now we have home builders who are building that $700,000 home and they're happy in that market. So how do we incentivize somebody? How do we take that risk away? And can the city or in this housing coalition, can they take some of that risk away from them? And so they don't, they don't, they get into that market and they go, oh, we can do this. And then you can have other people go, oh, he's doing it. Why can't we do that? And, and, and so I'm hoping that we can incentivize some young people um, to, to get into that home building business that is in that entry level job, uh, entry level area. So it's important. If, and the reason it's important is if you want to go to a restaurant and have somebody serve you, if you want to go to the front desk at the Mayo Clinic and have somebody greet you, um, we need to have those entry level jobs. We need entry level homes. And I'm a big proponent of, you know, if you buy a home outside the city of Rochester, let's say you go to Casson and you have children and they go to the, the Casson school, the second house is going to be in the Casson school district. You know, if you build a house in Rochester and your kids going to move up to that next level house, guess what? They're going to stay in the Rochester public school district. And that, that to me is important that we do that. Um, you know, in our cost of our houses and, and, and I always pull out a graph from the Maxfield study back in, in 2015, we had a 41% price difference between the medium income price house house in the cities uh, in, in Rochester. And we're now at 15%, and, yeah. you know, and, and, and I've preached this before, but you know, if you have a couple and they're deciding they're going to live in Rochester at 41% house difference, I'm going to live in Rochester. That's a no brainer. At 15, that person might who works at Mayo Clinic might say, well, guess what? I'm going to, you know, drive down and drive back, take your talent, take that payroll out, you know, and it's not just the payroll, it's the talent. You know, you lose that 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 quality person that that might be living in the cities, and in Rochester is an attractive city. It really is. It's a great city, and and we're trying to be better. And I think people have to remember we're always striving to be a better city. When the group did their study, did they find or identify policies or whatever that the city is doing that might be detrimental to this entry level home construction? Well, some of it is, and in some some of it is fees, and some of that, but but that's just nibbling around the the edge, and, and it's not going to be one. It's going to be it's going to be eight or nine things that Rochester says we're committed to doing single family dwellings, and and we want entry level dwellings. This is what we're going to be committed to do. And it's going to take a commitment from the city council to say, hey, one of the things is RPU. RPU charges eight hundred dollars to hook up a meter. Million dollar house, two hundred fifty thousand dollar house. Well. Could we discount that price in the million dollar house? Um, go ahead and spend a little bit more money. Um, you know, on, on their meter, do you take the pie and just shift it a little bit? Because there is a, a there is a public good to having entry level houses. 
And I think that's what people have to understand. There's a public good to that. There's a number that came out. We had $48 million houses sold last year, new and used. $48 yeah. million in our area. Isn't that amazing when you hear that? And, and we just had a subdivision approved, $115 million houses um, in Southwest Rochester behind the Stone Barn uh, states. And, and they said they could build 400 regular houses if we did, had the sewer capacity. Well, we have one spot that we could fix for, for sewers and, and then lower that sewer fee. So there's a lot of there's there's a lot of things the city can do. Not one is going to do it, but I, I really believe that the city council is going to say, yes, we want entry-level houses. And how do we do that? Is there a timeline for this yet? That this would move to the council for this, I guess, consensus on a direction? Well, I think that the, the 23rd is one of those study, you know, that the, the staff are going to make their recommendations. And I think we're going to have to make that case. And I will I will make that case the best that I can and then hopefully come up with a, a solution to this. And and I'm not a very patient person. And so I think that that uh, I will push to do it. You know, I, my goal and my, my be blunt with you is a thousand houses a year um, to be built in Rochester. And and everybody's We've seen it before. And well, I, I worked at when we did 950 houses a, a, a year and our 10 year average is 500. Um, but everybody who I said, I want to do a thousand said, well, we can do 500. And well, that's more than we have. And if I would have said 500, they probably would have said, well, we can do 250. So, you know, um, you know so the, being stretched a little bit is not a bad thing. And there's that single family dwelling is just such an important part of our, our perspective. But again, Maxwell study said we need housing of all types. It's, it's not, it's not right. housing and or apartments. We need everything. We need senior housing. If you can imagine a $250,000 home, single level that a, a, a retired couple would want to move into, you know, energy efficient, new roof, new everything, and they sold their house to somebody who has a two-story home, you know, that opens up that, that, that it's a move up market then. It's a move yeah. around market and it adds so much to your community to have that. And there's things we can do. I'm, I'm quite honestly just excited about it. I really think that we can we can tackle this. And if anybody can do it, Olmstead County and Rochester can do it. And it will take a collaborative effort on everybody's part to do this. And I, I get a test. I'm probably the poster child for this. We were young and starting out. And one of our first goals as a new family was to get into an entry-level home. And that gave our children perspective. And now they've purchased homes and are building that equity because it is for the most people, it is the way you gain wealth. And from a culture perspective, not every culture has had that. And not every culture yeah. has watched dad call the plumber or, or shovel the walk or change the furnace filter or, or do that. And in there are programs, uh, I believe it's three rivers has got programs for housing maintenance. And, and so you want to be a homeowner and, and this is what it takes. And, and, and we just need to encourage more of that in Rochester. And in, I was in a, a seminar yesterday for three hours and there was 190 people um, on it and all these different nonprofits trying to, 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 to thread this needle. And I just think you just need to stand up and say, Hey, this is the goal. This is what we're going to do to get there. Let's, and it's not, it's not going to be conventional. It's going to have to be big thinking and, and moving that ahead. So. Wow. This will be interesting to watch and I look forward to getting an update after the next meeting on the 23rd. We'll talk next month and I'm sure we'll report on it before then, but we'll get a more in-depth update from you, Sean. I appreciate it. 
No, I appreciate the question and, and the ability to talk to people. And again, it's going to take the city to do it. I mean, we're all going to have to work together and there's a huge benefit for us to do it, you know, as an existing homeowner. Yeah, I, I'm i on board with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I need. I got you got me. There you go. <laughs> all right, Sean. Uh, we got to run. I'm out of time, but it's been great. And I, I look forward to our, our get together next month. City Thank Council you, member. City Council Member Sean Palmer on Rochester Today. News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. The Twins Caravan is coming.